Are you looking for an easy-to-use practice management tool built for accountants? Financial Sense is easy-to-use accounting practice management software that has everything you need to collaborate with your team, get organized, and hit your deadlines. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Financial Sense, later in the episode. But there was a massive relocation from liberal cities, the coastal cities where property is expensive, and people relocated to other parts of the country. And so I have an article here. So for example... So you're saying... Wait, I just want to make this clear. So you're saying that the Trump administration's tax policy drove liberals or just drove people, high net worth people, out of cities on the liberal coast to places that were more moderate and then pushed the... Uh, electoral map blue. Exactly. Trump arguably played the electoral map perfectly in 2016. Mm. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by A2X. Blake and I have talked plenty about the massive shift to online shopping during the time of COVID-19. This means that e-commerce sellers are dealing with massive amounts of transactions that need to appear in the general ledger correctly so that you can easily reconcile these transactions with a bank statement. ATX will give your Shopify and Amazon clients confidence in their financials because ATX was created with a focus on the importance of the reconciliation process. A2X posts tidy summaries of sales, returns, and fees from Shopify and Amazon directly into QuickBooks or Zero that will exactly match the deposits that appear in your bank account. ATX has won the support of Amazon, Intuit, and has hundreds of five-star reviews by accountants and bookkeepers in both the QuickBooks and Zero app stores. Cloud Accounting Podcast listener and e-commerce expert Scott Scharf said that A2X is the gold standard in e-commerce accounting. To learn more about using A2X and get 20% off your subscription by using code CAP20, Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash A2X. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A, the number two, X. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. I recently had two Zoom calls with accountants that use BQE Core for their professional service clients like architects, engineers, consultants, and lawyers. One accountant called it the missing link for professional services. Another said that BQE Core is the only game in town for job profitability in the cloud. My biggest takeaway from the conversations was how you can 100% use BQE Core as your standalone accounting system or pair it up with either QuickBooks Online or Zero. Either way, you get to take advantage of all the advanced features of BQE Core like adjustment invoicing, budgets, labor costs, forecasting, contract analysis, and approval processes. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Happy Sunday to you, David. It's happy Sunday to you, Blake. We have a new president-elect. We do. After five days, six days, seven days. How long does this take now? <laughs> like a week. I just feel like the whole election has gone on. It's been going on for years now. It's like two years, right? It's like a two-year process. You got the primaries, you got the lead up to the primaries, then you got the general election. It's good just to have it done. You know, it's easy for me because I'm I consider myself to be a moderate. So like I didn't think the world was gonna end either way. Uh, for me, it was more just like, can we move on to something else? <laughs> you know, can we can we move forward as a country, whichever way it's gonna be? So I'm glad it's over. Uh, I've got some election-related news for the accounting podcast all these allegations of voter fraud. One of them in one state in the state of Michigan relates to an Excel error or a spreadsheet error. They don't specifically say it's Excel, but I'm going to assume it's Excel. This is good because anytime we can, anytime Excel is on like our cover art, 
we get more, we get listeners, more listeners. So. That's still very <laughs> Excel's a very popular uh, uh, Excel's very very popular draw. Still. Number one app, right? Yeah, so we can talk about that. I'm curious if you have any election related stories. Well, I worked the election. You, you, David. I did not know this, but yeah, you, uh, you worked the whole day, right? I get up at you know three thirty in the morning, and I'm at the polling place on you know five a.m. bright and early, so we can open the polls at six a.m. So I worked the polls in Arizona. People came in and vote. Huge turnout. I was actually I did the primary, and there was big lulls, but we never really had lulls. Mm-hmm. It was busy the whole day, and you know I think for people like they talk about oh fraud, right? all of these things. What they don't realize, like, I'm actually a registered independent. So, that's where they like me working the polls. But in every single point of the process is you have in the room constantly a Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, and Democrat. And they kind of paint a picture of like the ballots once they're finished at the end of the night. You know, they get all sealed up and ballots are already segregated based on these ones came in in person. These ones were absentee that got dropped off. These ones are provisional. Everything's in sealed separate bags, signed. It's all separated. So that's what's funny about some of these lawsuits that say, oh, they must separate these ballots. Like the policies are already there separating Mm -hmm. this. But to kind of paint a picture, right? Mm -hmm. So two couples, one happens to be Republican, one happens to be Democrat, they're working and they actually take the ballots back down to the Pima County. These are the observers. Uh, they're observers, volunteers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And so they actually have to transport the ballots to the actual recorder's office. And the, the, so what happens is the, the, the wives get in their car. So it's one Republican wife, one Democratic wife with all the ballots. And they get followed by the two Republican husbands in their cars. <laughs> and so the ballots are never in anybody's one party's hand. Right. Like everybody's watching this like a heart a hawk. And it was funny because I was actually sitting there because I'm I, I'm the ID checker. I'm checking everybody's IDs mm-hmm. as they're coming in. And you know sometimes there's there is lulls. And I, and I, it was funny because I was sitting there. I was like, it could be so hard to do fraud. I was sitting there trying to figure out like how could you even do this at a massive scale? Yeah. Because all fifty states have different rules. Everything's down to like the teeny little county and the teeny little. Township. Precinct. Yeah, precinct. It'd be very, very hard to do this on a massive scale. But, well, and that's still everybody just comforting. I helped the election. And and I think actually the general public would do well to understand an accounting concept to help them understand that, you know, fraud in this country is not a big deal because it may happen, but it happens at such a small frequency that it is immaterial. And that's what everyone needs to learn is I think the whole world should learn the concept of materiality when it comes to elections, because you're going to have some crazies who do some election fraud, but it'll be like a handful of votes in a county, right? It's it's so small that it will never make a difference in the election. And my theory is, is both sides have tried to do some foolery and it all cancels out anyways, <laughs> right? It's that <laughs> whole like, it, yeah. if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying or whatever it's called, right? Both sides probably have foolery going on. But but I don't think it's possible at a massive scale. And and, and actually, ironically, it goes against the whole argument because I, I could argue that Republicans think that Democrats are not capable of running anything <laughs> successfully. <laughs> but but you but then you but then you, you you give them credit that they could run this huge massive fraud of an election. I don't know. So I have a theory on why Trump lost the election. But I think you had an Excel story, so why don't you cover that first here, and so we understand that. Well, sure. So, one of these debunked conspiracy theories is around Michigan. Uh, There was a moment during the vote counting when an election map called Decision Desk HQ, one of these, you know, online election maps, showed suddenly that Biden got a huge number of votes while Trump and other candidates got none in Michigan. It was like a hundred, over a hundred thousand votes. And so, there were 
social media conservatives who were taking screenshots of this circulating around saying this is voter fraud. Well, really, it was an Excel error, a spreadsheet error, not, not specifically called out as Excel, but some sort of spreadsheet error. Apparently, these maps rely on uploads from the different states and counties and whatnot. And so somebody must have made a copy paste error and didn't update a certain column or whatnot. They noticed the mistake and then re-uploaded the file and then uh, everything was fine. So, I mean, it got to the point where, uh, you know, Donald Trump, President Trump tweeted, what is this all about in capital letters uh, with somebody else who had, um, you know, shared this uh, potential issue. Uh, so, you know, just a uh, Excel air spreadsheet air. That was it. And I, and I know a lot of the uh, county recorders, right, or the state recorders, they'd be doing um, press conferences and you know they had printed out Excel sheets in front of them, <laughs> right? And, and some of them were like real time adjusting the numbers, not, not okay, adjusting numbers the wrong way. Like as their updated numbers changed real time, they were yeah. changing them in their press conference even. Like, so it's, uh, it, it's really interesting to see like when they, especially some of the states I think were updating like every hour. Yep. And they were, they're putting out a couple of uh, numbers. And there's definitely a lot of spreadsheets going on in this. And you might think that, well, that's, that's not very safe. We shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, if you set up a spreadsheet reporting system, well, I'm going to defend the, the noble spreadsheet. You can discover these errors and you can fix them. Just like in the case of what happened in Michigan, it's all about having the right procedures in place to double check the results. It's not necessarily like you need to have a system that prevents these kind of errors from happening because whenever you got people involved, you're going to have mistakes. Maybe it's a data entry mistake. Maybe it's a copy paste mistake. Uh, and, and Excel is more prone to that. But if you have the systems in place to check it, you're going to be fine. And there's actually a great article that I spotted in Wired a couple weeks ago that I've been meaning to share. And I think now it's very appropriate. It's called Meet the Excel Warrior Saving the World from Spreadsheet Disaster. And it's it's an article that features these consultants who are Excel experts that will take your spreadsheet and find the errors in it and help you figure out how to fix it, to design procedures around it so that you're not going to have these issues where you have like error checking, you know, you're checking. These the guys results. will never run out of work. Well, right, right. Well, there are, there will always be spreadsheets, right? And and it's interesting because and spreadsheets with errors, right? That's so the it, it, it's an it's an article that kind of like takes the other side, and, and you know, we, we talk a lot about removing spreadsheets and moving to a system where you don't have to rely on them. And yes, there's a lot of places where that makes a ton of sense, but then there's also situations where building that custom system just may not be practical or affordable, and you still got to rely on the spreadsheets. And the the good news is that if you design a system that double checks the results, you can do that. But it is really about risk management. And you have to design the spreadsheets well. And if you do that, then you're not going to have to worry. Um, so it's all about training people, you know, to use them the right way. So it's a, it's a great article. It's a long read. Um, give it a, a, a look. It's going to be in the uh, show notes. Got it. So you want to hear my theory on why Trump lost the election? And that he did it to himself. Okay, let's let's hear that. Let's go back to Trump got elected in 2016. Uh -huh. What was one of Trump's major pieces of legislation that he pushed through? It was uh, cutting taxes, right? The Trump Tax Jobs and Tax Act. Juicing the economy, yeah. And that was in 2017. It kind of really started to kick in in 2019, especially the thing around the home mortgage. Mm -hmm. And if we go back to our old episodes, January 27 of 2019, we talked about where people were moving. So pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Lots of millennials, lots of people were fleeing California. And they're fleeing California because, in the, and, and I've talked about this in the, the 
when we first talked about the tax cut, mm-hmm. it was a direct attack on the coastal cities and people that had expensive houses. And really, you, you were from California. Yeah. Basically, what he did, he, they eliminated the home mortgage interest if your house was over a million dollars. So, it moved it from a million to claim your mortgage interest down to 500000 So, if your house is more than 500000 you lost that dis- deduction. And you you're in California. I smell a ton of the Bay Area. A million dollar house is not much. Like you, yeah. you're you're just like the average worker. You're you're an average engineer in the Bay Area. You're buying a two bed a three bedroom house with a, two bathrooms, which in most of the country is about one hundred eighty thousand dollar house. And so people were directly affected by this. And then there's also the um, deduction for state and local taxes that went away. And so so we so in and so I have articles in here. If we uh, go back to mm-hmm. You know, I have articles from November 1st of 2019. This is all pre-pandemic because we could argue that maybe Trump mishandled the pandemic and that caused lockdowns and closures and then people fled some of these other bigger cities, right? We Mm -hmm. could talk about people relocating to that. But there was a massive relocation from liberal cities, the coastal cities where property is expensive and people relocated to other parts of the country. And so I have an article here. So for example- So you're saying, wait, I just want to make this clear. So you're saying that the Trump administration's tax policy- drove liberals or just drove people, higher net worth people out of cities on the liberal coast to places that were more moderate and then pushed the uh, electoral map blue. Exactly. Trump arguably played the electoral map perfectly in 2016. Mm. And maybe he played it perfectly again this time, but 691,000 Californians left last year. Where did they go? They went to Arizona, Washington, Nevada, Oregon. I have another article, Georgia. All these states yeah. that have the needle moved on, Trump drove people to move to those uh, states. Well, it, and, 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 and it's not, and it's like, and people have been noticing this. I've seen memes, you know, we're in Arizona, like, don't California my Arizona. I think right. I saw a meme that took the Hollywood sign and <laughs> somebody changed it to say, stop moving to Arizona. So there's memes like, but this, but he, he moved voters. Because mm. if they would all stay in California, right. he would have won these states. And the ones that he needed were among the ones he needed were Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. And I mean, were people leaving like New York City for Pennsylvania or in, in New Jersey for Pennsylvania? That could have changed it too, right? But it's funny that you mentioned Georgia. That was one of the states that I was on my list of places to go when I was leaving California that I had on my list. So I had Nevada, I had Arizona, and I had Atlanta, right? Georgia. And my wife just wouldn't go that far, <laughs> being from Southern California. And even Texas, the numbers started to tip in Texas. I can look at like Idaho. Boise is very hot. Like a lot of people in the Bay Area moved to Boise because it's just, it's cool and hipster. It's, it's, everybody's moving there, right? But that shifted the numbers. Clinton in 2016 only got 38% of the vote. Biden got 46%. And he got, 50, he almost, he got 50,000 more votes. Like massive people that, probably would not have impacted the election if they would have all been in California, got relocated over the last two, three years to other parts of the country. And if you look at those are the states that are tip- that tipped. Trump lost the election on his own based on his own policies. That's that's my hypothesis and theory. I would love to spend two months looking at all the perfect data. Please somebody take this and run with it. But that's my theory. I, I want to explore this hypothesis. It seems like it could be true. I mean, can we prove it that that you know the electoral map changed because of tax policy that's a big deal i don't know if anybody has has anybody like have you is this just your theory or have have you seen this like i mean if you think about it the, there was this big bet that people are so disgusted in trump there'd be this massive shift of voters to the other side 
but I don't think you see that overall in the general election no, result no. numbers. It's very, it it's fifty yeah. fifty almost still. So so this is yeah. a redistribution of the electoral. Not what votes. anyone expected. Um, that's it on the election. We can we can drop it now. I just my, I just think it's the Tax Job Act is the root cause of the election results. Well, we may be done with discussing the election, but I still do have a political issue to discuss related to the stimulus. A judge has ordered the SBA to reveal data about the Paycheck Protection Program in EIDL. We've discussed at length on previous episodes that uh, the SBA has only released data on loans over $150,000, the names, addresses, how much they received in certain bands. Uh, And the reason that the SBA said they weren't going to release the data on everyone is for privacy. Right, that they didn't want to give you know competitive information away, blah blah blah. Well, a bunch of news organizations filed suit in federal court against the SBA, saying that this is a public program. You have to release all the data. You can't just release some of the data. It's not up to you. And a federal judge has sided with the Freedom of Information Act request by the news agencies, uh, and is saying that the SBA has to release all the data on all the loans. So. Get ready for another round of PPP loan shaming when all of that data gets made public, unless I guess a higher court reverses this decision. And and it got buried. I think this would have been huge news if it wasn't for the election, right? Because it's going to impact millions of businesses. But yeah, because this is all the teeny guys. Yeah. It's in, and then what's interesting about this is these are a lot of the sole proprietors, right? They have two employees. Like It's going to be, this is where it's going to get very like, the neighbors are going to gossipy. Right? Like, they're like, oh, Blake, I see that you took out a loan. I I don't know if this actually accomplishes anything because I think the other side of this is, you know, they continue about massive PPP fraud, right? They keep talking about this, right? And they think that Mm -hmm. this is what's going to expose it. But in the grand scheme, if there's all this massive in the watchdog group that's with the SBA, they're saying that, like, even people that were on a federal do not pay database we got loans. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of failures in many places on this, yep, but they yep. still have yet to only charge 73 people. I know. And the only ones they've charged are people that it was completely ridiculous. Like the guy who used Game of Thrones characters, the most ridiculous situations are the only ones being charges brought up on. Just to put some numbers behind this, what this means is that uh, 4.5 million of the 5.2 million loans, those were under 150,000. So we're going to get data potentially on 4.5 million loans and just get ready for the press to start going through that looking for fraud or looking for companies to embarrass, whatever it's going to be. That's prepare your clients for this. Potential I have a prediction. There's going to be some guy that took 300, $150,000 loans out. <laughs> like the same. I Probably. Them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also related to this, there was a little deeper thing in, the, in one of the articles related to the fraud. Um, so researchers at MIT in July, they compared some of the payroll data versus the eligible com- companies to ineligible ones and kind of basically figured out that the program itself boosted employment by 2.3 million jobs. So that's that rate, basically it's $224,000 per job that got supported. It was a very inefficient spend of money. Right, we could have just given the money directly to the people who lost their jobs. I mean, that's what I've said the whole time is if the point of the program was to keep people from losing their paycheck, let these businesses let them go and then give them a paycheck. It's going to be much more efficient, but I'm not in charge. 2021 is going to come. Trump's gone, but we'll still be talking about PPP for like two more years. Like this is never going away. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. I never thought, I never Never imagined we'd be speaking about PPP this much. 
Well, something we haven't spoken about in a long time is automation and the robots replacing us. And I think a big reason, as we have discussed, is that in a pandemic, the robots aren't very good at adapting. So all of this automation technology that was going to replace accountants, like, didn't you know work right? Scale Factor failed because it couldn't adapt to helping clients with PPP. All their you know automation that they had built was like not valuable in this situation. So the firms that succeeded were the ones that could adapt with human beings to help their clients. And like, who cares if you can code transactions automatically? It can't get you a PPP loan, right? Yeah. So I do have an automation story to talk about. The humans have won. Walmart has abandoned its shelf scanning robots and is letting humans do the work. So for five years, Walmart has been testing out these robots that wander around its stores. They have them in about 500 stores and they scan the shelves to see what products need to be replaced. This is a pretty massive test. This is not like one store with one robot. They've, they've, they imp- this is beyond test. They've implemented this at 500 stores. It's pretty major. I mean, but for Walmart, that's a test, right? Because there's thousands and thousands of stores. So they decided after five years, they're ending their contract with the company that made the robots. These robots are like these little like pill looking things that like wander around. And the reason given is that humans are just as efficient at doing the work. It turned out that another reason, secondary reason was that uh, people were getting kind of weirded out by the robots in the stores. So like, you know, people are less weirded out by humans wandering around doing this work. So they decided to junk the robots. should have put one of those yellow happy face buttons on its vest and then people had been okay. <laughs> but you know, this is one of my arguments. Like, I don't feel really strongly about minimum wage laws, but I do think that there are unintended consequences. And like, if you raise the minimum wage too much, then those people who are scanning the shelves might get replaced by robots, right? Like Walmart is doing a calculation here. So that's always like the argument, the consideration that I bring up when I'm talking with colleagues or friends about like minimum wage legislation, like you increase that, you're going to increase automation and that could end up just getting rid of the job entirely. That's my two cents there. So David, we were talking about earlier, people moving to different states. And we talked actually extensively last episode about people moving because of remote work. But there are serious tax implications of that, like living in one state and working in a different one. And you had a story about the AICPA in that. Yeah. So, we've sometimes questioned if the AICPA is doing things for its members. So, this is an article in CNBC. And the headline of the article is, if you've worked remotely during COVID-19, a state tax surprise could be coming. Yep. And the whole article basically is done based on a poll by the AICPA. So, AICPA did a poll. They did a poll of uh, 2,053 American adults. And they found out that like 7 of 10 are unaware that telecommuting from a different state could affect their state taxes owed. Half of them just didn't even adjust their withholding to reflect their work situation. And so, the whole table has been set. And this is like in mainstream media, the AICP is out there scaring people. And so, you as the accountant or bookkeeper get to have some work now. Because they're scaring people that they're going to have to pay taxes in two states. Yeah. And and it really depends on the state law, the state where your employer is and the state where you are and whether or not they have some sort of agreement. And if they don't, you could get taxed in both states. It's, it's a real mess. I mean, to me, this is a lot like when the Wayfair Supreme Court decision happened and suddenly we had to deal with nexus and state sales tax everywhere. This is like that, but for income tax. And some states like New Jersey and Pennsylvania, like they're really close. They're okay. They have PACs. And then Pennsylvania, Virginia, West yeah. Virginia, Washington, D.C., they have PACs. So there's where they agree not to double tax the people that are having to commute back and forth, et cetera. But seven right, but, states. They- well, here's an example, David. What if I'm here in Arizona and I'm not traveling now, but 
I will be, and I'm going back to California to go to headquarters. Like, am I going to have to deal with California tax? Like, do I have to minimize the amount of time I spend in California? I don't even know, right? I have to look this up. Every, uh, I still have a rental house in California and I have to file a return. They want to know how many days I spend in California, even on vacation. Got to be careful and about have to that. show all my income. So, seven states. So, 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 seven states, they tax teleworking employees based on where their employer's office is located. So, Arkansas, Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, Nebraska, New York, and Pennsylvania. And Massachusetts just joined this this spring. So, this is post, post-COVID. post they, they put in an emergency rule to tax out-of-state workers that commute to their state. So, this is an opportunity. Every time people get a headache thinking about this, that is an opportunity for accounting firms, if you ask me. And the ASCPA is actually doing us a big favor by going out there and talking about this and putting it in the mainstream press because they're trying to build awareness. I mean, I, I assume that's what the the goal is, right? And so, if you are a firm... Come up with a marketing campaign, a sales campaign around this sales, not sales tax, income tax nexus for your remote employees. And you could consult with employers, especially employers, because as soon as you have remote employees in more than one state, you probably got to file a state tax return. Well, and some of this is requirements. Like if you, in the state of Arizona, if you have an employee that's working here for more than 60 days, you now have to start withholding taxes as an employer. So the employers, yes, your small business clients have requirements. So there's requirements for the employer, there's requirements uh, for the employees, lots of opportunity to like make people aware of this way in advance of tax day, which is coming way sooner than we think, <laughs> right? It's, it's, April is not that far away. So let's, let's create these campaigns now and, and make our clients aware of it and get a bunch of consulting revenue. And it works. Like it's, it's fear-based marketing. I'm even scared because it says like <laughs> the Melios corporate officer in New York City. If, if, yeah. if, if you work even one day in New York, you're, filed, you're required to file a return. So you basically can't go to New York for, except for pleasure, right? But I've already went, went once this year. Oh, no. So now you got to deal with that. But so. technically, I don't think I was hired yet then. So maybe there's a way around this. Yeah, you got to, well, you got to, maybe somebody on the listening can help you, David. We got to figure this out. Hire a tax accountant now. So that is my, I think, top tip of the week. But I've got more practice management news that I've been like saving. I want to, I want to get this off my chest, right? Because these are great tips for people who are running cloud-based remote practices. Just honestly, any accounting firm and bookkeeping firm could benefit from some of these uh, tips and articles that I've spotted over the last few weeks. So, you mind if we go through some of these? Yeah, I have a tip of what not to do as well. So, <laughs> I'll let you go first. All right. So, here's what to do. So, this was an article on the Zapier blog, and I love the content that they put out on this blog because it's not just about how to use Zapier, it's about how to you know automate your business and make it better. So, this is called How One Simple Zapier Workflow Created a Multi-Million Dollar Business. And it's about a company called Bonjoro. They make an app and they have used Zapier to automate creation of tasks so that they are reminded to make a personalized video welcome for every single customer who signs up for their app. So the CEO has a commute on a on a ferry and when he's sitting on the ferry every morning he goes into his task queue which was created by a Zapier integration with you know uh, I think they use Intercom so their sign-up form connects to Zapier. Whenever anyone signs up, he gets a task to go make a personalized video. And he records on his ferry ride like a 30-second video for every person that's personalized to them when they sign up and he emails it to them. And he said that conversions increased by 200% just from that simple change. Think about it, right? Somebody's personally welcoming you to use your app. And I was thinking about this for myself as an accountant. Like, How great would it be if every time somebody filled out the contact form on my website – 
I, the firm owner, made a personalized video saying, thank you for your interest. Here's a little bit about me. I look forward to chatting with you. Here's the link to book with me. Wouldn't that win over somebody who just sends an email response? I think it'd be great. So that's that's one of my tips. Uh, we've got a great tip from Ryan Lazanis. He has a fantastic newsletter called Future Firm, which I highly recommend everyone subscribe to. And in one of his recent newsletters, which was titled How to Get Accounting Clients in a Changing World, he said his top tip is actually a really simple one. It's not complex. It's one that many firms fail to take advantage of, though, which is they never make sure that they are visible in local search engine results and specifically Google Maps. So and I think he's, uh, th- th- I think I saw that article from Ryan. And the reason why is there was a, some press or some study that showed consumers are really trying to go hyper local right now. And yeah, they want to support local businesses. Like that's a big thing during the pandemic. You know, it's like support your local small businesses. And even though people are working remotely, they still want people who are proximate to them. Everyone's working from home, but we still want to work with people in our city or in our state. I mean, I could see how there's an assumption, you know, that, hey, if I'm going to get a CPA, I want one in my state because they maybe understand my state's tax laws better. Yeah. Or, you know, like if I have a problem with them, I want to be able to track them down, right? (laughs) Go find them. So, uh, you know, I I would feel that way, right? If I'm hiring a lawyer, I want somebody who's like, well, they got to know my local law anyway. So, I I need – but it would be nice to have somebody in my city, right? So, I could go meet up with them if I needed to. So, anyway, the big tip is make sure that your firm website is showing up in local SEO results. So, you you know, you got to sign up for a Google account where you can manage your listing. and. Do that, fill out all the fields, get listed. It'll make a huge difference. Try the same thing on Facebook. Like all of these companies now have this local, hyper local results. You probably want to be on Yelp and all the other stuff. Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Financial Sense. As your firm grows, it becomes difficult to track everything that's going on. You have to track what your staff is working on, client deadlines, communications, documents, and projects. If you aren't careful, important tasks will fall through the cracks. You can prevent tasks from falling through the cracks with Financial Sense. Financial Sense makes it easy to track everything going on across your firm. You can track what your team is working on, important client deadlines, client communication, and even documents, all in one place. To get 20% off your first three-month subscription to Financial Sense, use the promo code GETSTARTED. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash sense. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-E-N-T-S. Financial Sense, the only platform you need to scale your accounting firm. Last one I've got is from our friend of the show, Acuity, which is owned by Kenji Kuramoto and Matthew May. And we spoke at their conference Um a year ago, we did a live podcast recording at the Acuity Con. They're based in Atlanta. And I spotted this in, I guess it was in a trade publication, about how Acuity is launching accounts receivable services as a standalone service. And I thought, this is really cool because accounts receivable, invoicing, collections, cash flow, it's a huge concern of many small business owners. And that's where they experience a lot of pain early on. It's part of the accounting process, but you know their their first pain isn't going to be getting reports and doing their taxes. It's going to be how do I get money from my customers? How do I have an efficient accounts receivable process? So I love this as an example of a productized service that is also a great lead generator. 
So business owners can sign up with Acuity for help with their accounts receivable. And then that gives a firm like Acuity the opportunity to then move up with more valuable services, increase the services they offer. They can say, hey, you know, we also offer uh, reporting. We can do all your bookkeeping for you. Oh, by the way, we can do your taxes. We can help you with CFO work. So great example of a productized service. It's interesting that like from a a firm perspective that this first time we're hearing somebody going after that, the get paid part of the business flow, because really that's how Square exists. Arguably, Square doesn't even need to exist. You could have just used QuickBooks, but QuickBooks, the, the value prop is like, do your bookkeeping. When at the time that you have a customer standing in front of you and you just want them to pay you as fast as possible. Oh, and you could just get a Square dongle at Target for or Office Depot for $19, right? You get the Square dongle. And, and so going, this is going back a decade ago, but essentially, yeah, all Square did was solve the get paid part of the equation. And you're right. If, if that's all small business owners, especially a new business cares about, you could get them in and then get not only that, now you're getting them using good processes. So when they are ready for bookkeeping services, you're not having to do a cleanup mess because you're getting them on day one. Great point, David. Whenever I did cleanup, a huge part of that was accounts receivable because I they would have all these just stale invoices in their file and I'd have to go clean it up because I wouldn't know what had been paid. They may have not marked stuff as paid. Oh, yeah, great example. And I talked about that before when I was at the uh, S- small business development um, conference before and people were asking, you know, because a lot of these small businesses that are new, they're, they're like in Excel. And it's like, do you get them to switch from Excel to QuickBooks? And I'm like, maybe not. Maybe you put them on a small little app they use just to do their invoicing. So at least their ducks are in order. And then maybe one day that app you connect it to an accounting system and it shoves the data in, right? But you want to get them off Excel, but it's not Excel or bookkeeping system. There's a, there's an in-between and a transition here. And you're right. From a service perspective, your firm could offer as a service. And you know exactly what that app is, which I use for exactly this purpose. You mentioned Square as being you know, the get paid app. Well, the other one for services businesses is FreshBooks. I used to recommend FreshBooks before they even had this you know, new accountants program. Uh, I had many clients where I just told them, guess what? You guys use FreshBooks to do your invoicing. I'd help them set it up. And I'm going to do your accounting on zero. And I would sometimes connect it, but often not. And it was just easier to give them a solution where they could just go get paid uh, and, and FreshBooks, like that's the problem they solved very easily was how to send an invoice and how to get paid online easily. And that's why FreshBooks is doing so well. It's because they are solving that key pain point. And we as service providers need to think that way about our clients. What is the thing that hurts them the most right now? And how can we cure it and attack that with a service without trying to sell them everything all at once? Well, years ago, I, I think I said this on um, back when I was much younger and I was on the 40 under 40 list. And they asked at that time, so this was six, seven years ago, like what was the biggest thing probably facing accountants and bookkeepers? And my, old, my argument then was you're not part of the conversation early enough. And you used to be like you'd start a new business. On day two, you'd go get an accountant. On day three, they'd say, go get QuickBooks and because there was nothing on the market. But now on day one, you start a business. Day two, you can just get 10 apps on your phone and start running your business. By the time you think about bookkeeping software or an accountant or a bookkeeper, that's eight months down the road. And so like, how do you, like, that's a challenge, right? How, yes. do you, how do you get yourself back into the day one conversation of a business? And you're right. Maybe you just focus on getting paid. So we've been talking about apps. Square FreshBooks, maybe this is a good time to get into our app news segment. Yeah, I just want to touch quickly before that is of, of a don't do with your firm. Oh, yeah. What is it? What should you not do? You should not cheat on exams. 
So oh, no. I think this occurred before we were doing the podcast. It did. And then there yes. was a fine that occurred that we may have not, I don't even remember us ever talking about this, but essentially California has announced uh, the, the California Accounting Board finds KPMG $1.3 million for a cheating scandal. And this is tied to a, scan, a settlement that was reached in 2019 with the SEC because KPMG admitted to their allegations that they were uh, they had professionals cheating and sharing answers on internal training exams. So these are audit professionals. Yeah, they were. I think it was the ethics exam in California. There's a there's an ethics exam that every CPA has to take, and it's hard. It is not easy. I failed it the first time I took it. And they were like systematically cheating on it. So, you know, it's an online exam, right? Yeah. So, they were giving each other the answers. And the firm uh, issued a statement. They said, KPMG is stronger firm today as a result of concrete actions we have taken to strengthen our culture, governance, and compliance program since 2017. So, apparently, this event happened in like 2017. Yeah. Right. And then- Well, two, and you said the fine was like a million dollars? First from California, but they agreed to a yeah. $50 million settlement already with the SEC before in the past. And not only that, um, two individuals have been sentenced to- pr- One sentenced to prison, one's at home prison, whatever the ankle bracelet thing. And then there's another sentencing for a uh, ex-KPMG partner that's going to happen on December 2nd. So, you know, five years later, this still has a lot of repercussions. And it's funny because right around that time, that's when I think Zenefits- was ha- they were for the insurance exams. They were pulling they were the same those, thing. Yeah. They were doing the same thing in the state of California. So don't don't have your employees cheat at audit, uh, audit uh, integrity exams. Uh, ethics exams. <laughs> ethics <laughs> exams. Yeah. And but let's just put that fine in perspective. Okay. KPMG's global revenue in 2019 was 30 billion dollars. So this is a one million dollar fine. Hopefully, it does change behavior. I think the bad press and publicity was probably more effective at that. But uh, I, I would love to see some, you know, more than just a hand slap when they do stuff like this because it's just, it should not be acceptable. Um, all right. So, shall we talk about more app news? Yeah, let's jump into app news. So, Bill.com released their earnings and they beat expectations for their fiscal Q1 revenue climbed to 43.8 million from 28.5 million which topped expectations of 41.7 million they processed 28.8 billion in total payment volume during the quarter which is up 31% from a year earlier and processed 6.5 million transactions did you say 2.8 billion or 28 billion I think I said 28.8 billion. Wow. So 29 billion round up in total payment volume. <laughs> That's a lot, right? And 6.5 million transactions. They added 5,500 new customers, which is actually net new customers, actually kind of low, but they explained that, you know, due to the pandemic. Most of their revenue increase came from existing customers, which is actually good. They're a growth company now, right? They're, they're not going to be like a startup forever uh, with crazy customer numbers. CEO Renee Lassert was on the earnings call and he said that the reason they were able to increase revenue so much was that their small business customers were able to, quote, get back to business, unquote, relative to the prior quarter, which drove momentum across the company. So that's good news. Uh, Unfortunately, the markets still took Bill.com stock down 8%. So I'm not sure what's up with that. I think it's just the overall macroeconomic and election stuff, you know, overcame that. I I always feel like, you know, 
historically into it. They'd announce numbers and everybody's like, these are great numbers. And the next day the stock would go down. I, I, I don't, <laughs> it, it, it's impossible to know what the, that the street's thinking on these things. It's very, yeah. very confusing. So Square released their numbers. I don't want to go into like the details of those, just do some, some highlights. Um, yeah. And a lot of it's tied to that Square Cash app. Right, they're making tons of money from that. Yeah, it, it's super, super successful. I actually just used it the other day. Uh, I I've, I had it installed about a month. I finally connected it yesterday. I had to. Um, my mother was in Atlanta, and we had to pay uh, some. She needs some assistance at her house, some work done, and I had to pay somebody through the cash app. Uh, what's interesting about this? So I was just in the app before I talk about their numbers. It started to become like a to do everything app. I noticed that yesterday. I can buy stock in it. I can um, do Bitcoin in crypto. it. I can do crypto yeah. coins in it. I can um, keep money in it. And it has it. And I have my own banking and routing number. And it's actually not even hidden. Like, you know, like a lot of apps, like, okay, I want to get my routing number and banking number and I have to go eight menus deep to go find it to provide it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's front and center at Wait, the top so, of the app. So people can transfer money into your cash account with a routing and account number? Yes. Or is this for your bank account? No, no. This is like, I have my own. I could, I could utilize this for. I have ACH numbers to deposit money straight. Oh, wow. So I can give this to my employer. And my employer oh, because this is- It's a it's bank. Now ba- it's now basically a bank, bank account. It's a bank account, yeah. essentially, right? Wow. And I can do all these things through it. And then I also noticed I can do business payments. I can send payments for free, kind of like in PayPal. But if somebody pays me through the cash app, I have to- As a business. As a business, Then right? you pay a fee. Then you pay a fee, right? What is the fee on that? So, uh, I think if I remember correctly, it was like 2.75%, 2.74. For a credit card for payment. A credit, for right. a payment. But if they directly transfer from it, their cash then, app, it's- Okay. Um, gotcha. So, let's go through some of these numbers. So, the key driver of their strong results is the banking app tripled its profits from a year ago and is now almost half of the company's total gross prof- profit margin of $794 million. This app. That is crazy. So, like Square, which started as a point of sale system and a credit card processing system, is receiving half of its revenue from a basically a banking product. Yes. That's amazing. And so, as I noticed, you know, oh, there's a lot of things this does. They had specifically addressed that. Dorsey said the way they see it, there's about 30 million Cash App users in the US who probably would like to see this happen. And when he says this happen, is that it becomes an Uber app platform. It's a super app. And you do everything in it. Mm. So this is similar to, you know, these apps we've seen in China um, where you do everything in the app. It, I mean, the way it's almost like a chat app you use to pay, you use it to bank, you use it to do everything, to shop. He's going to take those next steps where you're going to do everything inside this app. So it's like a, it's like a super juiced bank account where you, you don't ever have to leave. Like, like, why do I need to go get a brokerage account somewhere else and then get another weird cryptocurrency wallet thing somewhere else? Like, he's, they're bringing that really to the common man. It's not the right thing. But the, the person that just doesn't it want is. to do with all this. It's yeah, it's, 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 making, it's making it accessible. I mean, basically when that's you – That's the word I was in for, yes. Yeah, and not only that, I can even do some of that um, – What's that fractional investing where I don't actually buy the stock, but I'm buying like pennies at a time of a stock? Um, yeah. There's, there's yeah, other I companies forget. and apps that do that, but now it's just, it's super convenient. I'm already in the app. I don't have to, to do anything. And so they also talked about the square card has increased each quarter. And not only that, in 250 million in the third quarter was spent by sellers using the square card. So you know, there's there's the Square app, but then there's a the Square card. So now I'm I'm a, a Square customer. I'm a small business owner, and so instead of me taking my money from my Square account, taking that money and actually putting it into my bank account at Old School Bank, brick and mortar bank, I just leave it in my Square account and I just use my debit card mm-hmm. as a business owner. So, so now businesses are not just taking basically money from my 
Square sales account and paying and moving that money out through this Square debit card, essentially. And that $250 million was spent that way. So people are changing their wow. behaviors, right? They're yeah. not taking the money out of Square and moving it to a real bank anymore. They're just keeping it inside of Square, right? Um, and then the last little piece was the cash app business offering. So they're starting to push this more. This allows payments traditionally consumer-faced cash app while paying a fee to Square. So now they don't have to pay the Square the fee, right? So if you're using cash app and you pay somebody who's a Square merchant, mm. the fee gets eliminated, right? Um, so the merchant doesn't pay a fee if I pay them with my cash app. Yeah. Gotcha. And the cash app for business, so this is businesses being paid by the cash app, uh, mm-hmm. it was $2.9 billion in payment volumes, That's up over 300%. So we looked at, we just heard about bill.com. They had 30, about 29 billion in payment volume. And, and so you're saying that Square Cash App is already on the business side up to about 10% of that, 2. Point, yeah, 2.9 billion. billion. Wow. So think about it this way, like bill.com has been around for how long? And bill.com is being used by huge, massive enterprise, right? And so this, this is like, this is burrito sales, right? These are teeny <laughs> sales happening yeah. at, at this kind this of- It's grown fast. Interesting. Wow. Well, I may need to buy some Square stock. I don't know. Oh, it's too late. It's it's like, <laughs> overpriced. You, you missed it. You, you had to buy it like in January yeah. when it was like sixty two dollars. Now now it's a uh, they're changing the price targets to like two fifteen from one eighty five. Crazy. Yeah. Well, small update from zero. Now, as an accountant, when you create a customized chart of accounts template in zero, you can edit the report code mapping, which doesn't sound like a big thing, but it's actually a big deal because it means that at a practice level, you can create a chart of accounts template for a specific industry or a type of client you service. And then now that you can update the report code mapping, it means that uh, that template works on a practice level with your report packages that you've also developed at a practice level. So when you go and you create a new zero account and you add in that templated chart of accounts, it's automatically mapped to that report package that you already set up. So the idea is like you've customized a set of reports for a particular client and now you can just basically duplicate that for every client that's similar after that. So neat feature that I don't think a lot of US accountants are necessarily taking advantage of, but I think it's worth if you're standardizing on zero to take the time to create those report packs at the practice level. And now that you can you know map the chart of accounts templates, do that as well. Uh, it basically just lets you like clone and and go after certain verticals and just clone accounts so that you can stand them up real fast. That's really helpful. I think you start taking on a, a niche or a franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Like where you can, if if you're going to take on all the subway shops in the U.S. market, you're going to want to pump those out as fast as possible. And the less clicking, you know, that you can do because it's templated out or it's an import or a automatic export, the better. That's right. And now on the other side of the spectrum from zero, we've got the folks who are still doing hosting. And we've got a lot of firms that are doing a mix of desktop hosting and Zero or QuickBooks Online or Intact or NetSuite. Well, let's say you're looking for cloud hosting, you're in the market. Randy Johnson wrote an article on CPA Practice Advisor talking about how to think about hosting public cloud, private cloud, SaaS. And there's a lot of good stuff in here, but the thing I want to call out from him is uh, he gave recommendations for three hosting companies to look for. And I think specifically, most people are going to be looking for QuickBooks desktop hosting. So the three you should look at, according to Randy Johnson, are Cetrum, Right Networks, and Ace Cloud. Cetrum, Right Networks, and Ace Cloud. 
They get the most favorable reports, according to Randy Johnson. And the last bit of app news is uh, actually related to one of our sponsors, David. We got a kind of a last minute sponsor for last week. And I, I don't know, are they sponsoring this week too? I can't remember. Thomson Reuters? Uh, not this week, two weeks from now. Not this week, two weeks from now. Okay, so we had Thomson Reuters as, a, as our headline sponsor last week. And uh, that's because they're promoting their user conference, which is, is that next week? November 10th to 13th. That's the sessions for tax and accounting professionals. The thing that I saw immediately is that James Corden is going to be hosting Thomson Reuters user conference. James Corden of the Late Late Show with James Corden. So, I thought that was pretty cool. It's like, I don't know if we get a lot of headliners like that hosting a, a tax and accounting conference. I mean, we've, we've had, you know, the, the, the massive celebrity guest speakers, but arguably when everything went virtual this year and everybody pulled the plug in and everything, this is the only like celebrity appearance, if you want to call it that, at an right? accounting related event this year. So, you know, I'm hoping we can get some press passes for this, David, because uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what jokes James Corden has for the accounting profession. You know. <laughs> oh, oh, this is where this is headed now. I see, I see. Are we, we going to get roasted is what I want to know. So, yeah, that's all my app news for this week. So, I have a couple uh, more. Um, so, not the word awesome, but awesome. So, O-S-O-M-E. So, awesome. I've never awesome. heard this word before. Awesome. So, this is new for me. Awesome or awesome. I guess it's pronounced awesome, probably. I mean, I'm just guessing here. So, they took $3 million to create an accounting super app. And, of course, I see a headline like that and like, Super app. What what is this? Wait, so oh, awesome spelled with an O is but no W, no W. So O S O M E. Okay, I'm guessing it's awesome, right? That's how you would say it. It's got to be. You wouldn't say awesome. Uh, no, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, but it's spelled with an O. So they are headquartered in Singapore, and they have a presence in the UK and Hong Kong, and then they're going to expand out to Australia and New Zealand. So I saw the headline. I was like, this is exciting. And essentially, it's another accounting firm with engineers. They're going to try to build <laughs> with AI. But what's interesting is the extra spin that they have. And this goes to some things we've talked about and you've talked about specifically, even for practice management, right? Offering other services. So I go to them as a small business. Sure, I can get my accounting and bookkeeping, but they'll tell me with my company and corporation. They'll help me with taxation and payroll. They mm-hmm. have a secretary. I can get a secretary from them. So, mm. they're basically, it's a full-fledged back office for entrepreneurs. It's very human-powered, probably less AI-powered. I mean, they even say it's, it's, it's a little of both, but I'm imagining you can't AI-power my secretary you're going to give me or my, my admin, right? There's probably a lot of human touch here. And so, it's just, well, it's, it's, it's just full service, right? Imagine if your accounting firm added all these extra services. And, and the thing that l- it looks like they're doing really well just from the screenshots is this portal that they've got. Right. So I can see how much money I have. I can see my list of unpaid invoices. They say they'll reconcile transactions within 24 hours. I can communicate in a portal. You know, this is kind of like table stakes at this point, if you ask me, for, uh, you know, a cloud based firm. But I think it's all execution, really. Like anybody can do this. It's all do you have the right people? Can you satisfy clients? Yeah. Cool looking firm. They say that they have more than 4,100 companies already. Um, between the UK, Singapore, and Hong Kong, they're using it on a daily basis, which is a lot. So they're, and then it makes me, if, if they have that many companies, and obviously there's some human element to do this, that $3 million is probably not going to last very long. Well, what's interesting, let's see, do they have pricing? I always wonder if these companies have pricing online. Yeah, so. I didn't look at that. I just, when I saw their packaging, I just was, I was like, yeah, that's interesting. The whole, you, you get these other things you probably need as a small business owner that you're not aware that you need. So here's the pricing they start at 
50 Singapore dollars per month. That's 60 transactions a year. And that gets you an annual management report, unaudited financial statements, estimated chargeable income. 60 transactions a year or a month? (laughs) A year. And then you can upgrade to Starter, which is 40 transactions a month. And that is 100 Singapore dollars per month. Let me convert that. What's the exchange rate? Singapore dollar to USD. Okay. So one Singapore dollar equals 0.74 US dollars. So 75 for the hundred dollar package, uh, it's a $75 a month package for, for, yeah. And do you also get, what, what do you get in that package? Do you get the secretary and you get payroll and you get taxes done too? Or is it just? No, you're getting daily bookkeeping, quarterly management reports and a corporate tax return too. So, I, I mean, I assume they've got to be using like a ton of offshore labor to make this happen. That's my guess as well. Yeah. Hey, if you want to take a look at a really nice website for an accounting firm with engineers, go to osome.com. Check it out. Saw that. And then a couple of quick things to note to acquisition. So Lightspeed, which is a point of sale, um, they're mm-hmm. based out of Canada. They are acquiring Shopkeep, which is a point of sale here in the States for approximately $440 million. So we're starting to see consolidation on this, this front, on the point of sale front. Um, and the the, one of the reasons is they want to go deeper with merchants and adding tools for complex inventory, multi-location, right? They're going to really attack things that Square's probably not attacking. Gotcha. Right, that that whole next level up on that side. And then what's interesting about both of those, both are driven um, by niche stories in a way. So Lightspeed somehow, because they handled inventory really well, somehow really got in well with all the bike shops. And so basically 80% of all the you walk into any bike shop in North America, they prior using Lightspeed point of sale. So they were able to use go from that niche and then grow from that. They, they, they got into the bicycle shop, bulletin boards, right? And word spread, like this is the one you want to use if you have a bike shop. And then um, Shopkeep was driven, uh, the founder of Shopkeep originally, he had a wine shop, right? And so he couldn't get a point of sale that were good to manage his wine store. And he built, so he built Shopkeep and then kind of like that, but both came from niche, niche stories, which I think is pretty cool. Hmm. And then yeah. last but not least, Fundera, remember how OnDeck got acquired? Who's the other lone player? Uh, Cabbage got acquired. So mm-hmm. Fundera, who's not truly a lone player, they're kind of a lone middleman where they, they're on a, a matching site. They're like a dating site for small businesses and people that want to provide loans to small businesses. Well, NerdWallet acquired them. So are you familiar with NerdWallet? Yeah, I used to read their stuff a lot. I think like NerdWallet is super popular for people who want to uh, choose a corporate or not a corporate, a rewards credit card. Yeah, it's very consumer-based finance stuff. So yeah. we've never, even though they exist a lot, we never talk about them on the show because they've never been in the small business game. Well, now they're getting into the small business game. Gotcha. So they're going to be publishing content for small businesses, loans, information. They'll be offering services. So we probably NerdWallet will start becoming a fixture of the show, I imagine, because we're going to see content created by NerdWallet. That's for small businesses, et cetera. Uh, now, the interesting part of this article uh, that I saw was, did you know that Intuit was thinking about buying NerdWallet? No, I, didn't, I don't remember hearing so that. So they were actually uh, think, they were thinking about buying NerdWallet and Credit Sesame and Vincinity. And then they want to buy in Credit Karma. Well, David, I think that's all the time we've got for this week. But we did get a review that I would like to read for you. Okay. Because it is very pro David Leary here. It's embarrassing. So I think I I'm not going to make <laughs> I'm not going to make you uh, read it yourself. This is from Joe Pavone. He or P A V O N E. I hope I am saying that right, Joe. He said, 
starstruck when David Leary showed up on a Zoom today when I was looking into Melio. Great job, you guys. Very informative and great insights into the space and future market. That's five stars. So thank you, Joe. Really appreciate the review. I appreciate it. And if, it's a little embarrassing yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, David, you're creating value for Melia. You yeah. should send that clip, send that review to your bosses over there, right? <laughs> um, if you want to write a review, where is the best place for them to do that, David? If you're in the Apple world, you want to take out your Apple phone, open up your Apple podcast app, find us and write a review right from your phone. And if you're not in the Apple world, you can go to podchaser.com and write a review there. Thank you so much to everyone who has written a review for us this year. They are incredibly helpful at getting us more visible in the podcasts. And our numbers have just climbed this year, even during the pandemic. You know, obviously, there's more interest in cloud and remote work. and But you have helped us get there by writing these reviews. And, and we really appreciate it. And, you know, my goal in 2021, I guess I'm already talking about next year. <laughs> It's plan. It's time to plan, right? Um, is you know, create a show that is the content filled with the content that you want to listen to. That helps you, whatever you're doing. If you're a developer, if you are an accountant or a bookkeeper in a small firm or a big firm, let us know what you guys like um, when you write that review. What speaks to you because that helps us figure out what stories we're going to cover on the podcast. Yeah, and uh, that's nice that you had a little reflection there because. This is our episode 200, Blake. What? We didn't have like a big celebration? Uh, you know, I guess, I guess we just, we've been doing this so long. We kind of, uh, it's like, it's like when you have your like 40th birthday, right? You're like, what do you do? Install some special, <laughs> special music or sounds right here. And like, we'll, we'll, uh, this, this rattlers or spin. We'll have some, right, a couple of fireworks. We'll have some, some tears, fireworks. Got it. Well, Woo! I can do that. You did it. Post-production. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, we've got a voicemail number. You're welcome to call. It is 202-695-1040. Leave us a message. You have a limit, so try to keep it to about a minute. And we'll listen, and we might even play it on the air. And if people want to find you online, David, where's the best place? Uh, on all the socials, I'm just at David Leary. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And if you want to connect with me or David on LinkedIn, just tell us you're not a bot. Until next week, David, stay safe. Have a great, I guess, beautiful November in Arizona. Hopefully. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. Time for the classifieds. I want to tell you about a new workflow solution called Bakotech. Bakotech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data. Bakotech gathers clients' data and delivers it to CPAs in real time through one login, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and client accounting issues as they happen, not after year-end. Bakotech helps CPAs provide their clients with the proactive services they need and increases the firm's efficiency and leads to working less overtime in busy season. To learn more about Bakotech, head over to bakotech.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a cloud accountant? Introducing ClientHub's Frictionless Workflow, a unique combination of internal workflow seamlessly blended with client tasks and communications. See how a frictionless experience across your team and your clients will save you hours of time. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app. Enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, truly frictionless workflow.
Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.